I think data unification and reconciliation becomes like you know one of the big pain points. Like, how do I know that Joe Smith is the same person who essentially engaged with my website and this particular content, and also happened to click on that ad that I served uh, a month or so back? Like, how do you make all that connection and understand the journey? So I think that reconciliation, having the right identity graphs to make that easily understandable, such that you know we can serve the right experience forward, is it's becoming critical. And the tools and data that you need to do that, it now becomes like top of mind for all these B2B brands. Hey everybody! This is the Data Driven Marketer, sponsored by Netwise. I'm Adam. I'm Mark. I'm Sudeshna. Welcome back for another hang in the data basement. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And special thanks to our guest this week, Sudeshna Sen, who is the VP of Marketing at Merkel. Yeah, I'll throw to you, Sudeshna, for a quick intro, sort of uh, how you end up at Merkel. Hi, I'm Sudeshna Sen. I head our B2B analytics practice at Merkel. And uh, what I do is that we, um, we help our clients solve for complex customer experience uh, challenges or marketing challenges. So to give you some context, Merkle is a leading technology-enabled, data-driven customer experience management company where we help Fortune 10 to Fortune 1000 brands um, enhance brand value and drive sustainable revenue growth. Uh, through solving for these customer experience improvements and marketing uh, challenges. Awesome. Yeah, we've been excited to have you on to talk about that side of, you know, I mean, Merkel is a big, pretty well-known name, you know, and it's a really interesting side of things. The idea that consultants come in in some contexts and say, okay, you got to do these marketing things. And then the extent to which it's like, now let's introduce you to the idea of data-driven marketing. But first, I was looking at your LinkedIn stuff to prep for this, and I saw you have a, a PhD in data science. So it started from data, and, and then you ended up in marketing. Is that because of the analytics link that kind of gets you into the marketing space, ultimately? So um, it all started with, of course, you know, my, my love and passion for data, for analytics, for insights. And um, in my previous role before Merkle, I, I started as a data scientist. That's when as I was applying data science to solving different problems, and especially in the marketing side, it just spurred a lot of interest. So there's uh, so much potential and so much we can do to leveraging data, technology, analytics, and insights to driving and solving for marketing challenges. And that's where my interest sparked in marketing. And then in Merkle, I think data is sort of the foundation in which uh, that we use to build on for every challenge that we solve for. It's, it's very data-driven, data-oriented. And right now, I think that the sky is the limit in what you can do with data to solve for the different challenges. It's really, it's, I mean, people who listen to this all the time, this is the broken record part of the podcast, but it really is a, a remarkable time to be in the space as more and more data becomes available because so much of our behavior is digitized. And... It's just crazy to me the idea that, you know, what I imagine my own academic track, stats and computer science and like those things were really far on the other side of the world from where I ended up hanging out with, which, you know, was like the film nerds and stuff. And that's, I ended up on, you know, I came the creative route through marketing, but I've always been a programmer. And so I was always kind of on that CS thing and going, 
it's crazy that they kind of merged at this layer of like, now we have so much data. It's almost like a video game and we can kind of do all kinds of fun things that we would count as, as marketing, which I feel like is the segue into we're excited to talk about today, which is the shift that the digitization of that much of experience and life and behavior and all that kind of stuff has has gotten us, you know, digital selling and in the same way, you know, digital marketing. How is digital selling different from, I guess, the alternatives or, you know, brick and mortar? Yeah, I think it requires like digital selling because of the pandemic, there has been an accelerated trend towards digital transformation, which has manifested itself into more and more B2B buyers looking to buy and sell digitally. And that completely shifts the the business model, if you will, of B2B brands in itself. While before, they would lean more on their sales rep, on their sales arm, enablement arm, to really uh, be that linchpin in terms of building those relationships, uh, high-touch relationships, and converting that to a closed deal now because more and more B2B buyers want to uh, navigate exploration and consideration of your B2B product or solution online. It's a different kind of business problem B2B brands are dealing with because now they have to have an experience, a self-serve experience for the B2B buyers to be able to feel and understand and what their brand has to offer in a digital environment, which is very different with, without a human uh, touch in the beginning of the journey. Do you see uh, your, the clients you work with? Have you seen, um, or would you say that there's a trend of B2B buyers behaving more like a B2C consumer? I think that's, what, that's the direction we are seeing, that in the B2B buyers, the, the way they behave in, the, in terms of... Um, the, the emotions that come into play as they are trying to get a feel for the brand and making a decision about whether to go for this particular product or not. I think it's very similar to a B2C. Of course, B2B is more complex because, you know, a buy happens in, uh, from a buy, in, in, in the stance of a buying committee. It's not one person. There are multiple people involved towards making that purchase decision. But I think that the way they function or they navigate the buying cycle is very similar in some respects to a B2C or a consumer. And do you typically see, you know, I, I completely agree just from what we've seen in terms of needing to influence multiple people at an account. You know, it's, we're kind of looking to take both a, a consumer-based approach to the messaging, but a B2B approach to the nurturing and the reporting, understanding that that you know the velocity is going to be likely much longer. Um, the time to close is probably going to be more extended, you know, than it would be if you're buying uh, track pants, let's say. Um, but you know, but the but the means and the platforms, the means of communication are becoming more seem to be becoming more similar to to B two C approach, uh, you know. And that's I don't know if that's directly attributed to the pandemic with everyone being. On their devices more more frequently, um, you know where these omni-channel frequency or strategies can play out. But I guess could you could you speak to you know ways that you guys are helping your clients address the different personas within those buying committees? Like you might have a data person 
to influence. You might have a finance person. You might have an IT person. Can you talk to you know the, the challenges and maybe some successes you guys have, have had helping clients approach those buying committees? I think what the, the way we approach this is by, with an audience-first approach. So first and foremost, you know, we have to have a very good understanding on who your ICP is and who, are the, who is your primary audience, who are these influencers that we need, to, um, we need to have a relationship with, who are going to engage with us across uh, the buying cycle. And really understand these audiences well. It's not just who they are in, in terms of professionally, okay, these people are, say, the CTOs of an organization, but really personally, in terms of uh, what motivates them. And it could be simply com- something completely different than, you know, uh, what motivates them from business side. Like personally, what motivates them? What are their behaviors, interests, passions, and where are they consuming content? Is it on LinkedIn? Is it on, on Wall Street Journal? Like where are they actively consuming content and where are they spending their time? Where are they engaging with other others? Such that to your point, we, we, we should be showing up in, across those channels with a message that resonates around what their motivation points are and, and getting them you know, to consider us. So I think the audience first approach is very critical. And more importantly, like as we are moving towards digital selling or digital buying, as I said, it, it's tying that audience inside along with the behaviors that they're exhibiting as they're interacting with the brand. So if this particular audience is already engaging with you, your content in, on your website, let's understand their site engagement behaviors and tie that and contextually target them rather than treat all CTOs in this particular example similarly. So I think that those are the nuances that we have brought, which has shown a lot of success in terms of, um, in terms of being able to move them to the next best action uh, in the funnel. It's an interesting time to be in B2B, particularly if you have consumer experience, because a lot of, a lot of us kind of look at what's happening in B2B marketing right now and go, yeah, these are not new tricks. I mean, like some of them are, and some of the stuff is getting juggled up by things like the cookie list stuff. But the idea of, you know, okay, here's how we need to target this type of ad for this type of consumer product to this type of person is like what Instagram is really good at because of the information it has. We just never had to apply it to B2B before because B2B was pretty much in its lane of like, you get on the blogs, you get in the magazines, you're, you're effectively marketing to business contacts. Sales takes it from there. Now users are telling us they'd rather do it a different way by saying that they prefer to not have to talk to a rep. To, you know, it's, it's, it's almost half of people would prefer to not have to t- have a rep-free experience, right? So they're kind of telling us like, that's not good enough anymore. Like we know the way you like to do things. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we don't. We don't like the way you're doing things. We'd prefer, we'd prefer you marketed to us a little differently. Like you know, I I really would rather just click buttons. Thank you. (laughs) I would, uh, or it's really more like I would just prefer a two minute tour video instead of a half hour, you know, demo or whatever. Yeah. So what's interesting is seeing that consumer sort of behavior roll into the business stuff and realize that it becomes this. It, it almost feels complicated to explain sometimes because 
we used to, with B2B marketing, be like, you're right, it's a CTO. That's everything we need to know. They're the target person at the company or persona. And then you, you, know, you have the VPs downstream from them, whatever. But we never had to say like, okay, the CTO is a gamer who doesn't like sports. And based on that, we can optimize an ad spend by not focusing on the ESPN channels and focusing instead on Twitch you know, commercials and stuff, right? Which is really starting to get into where, where it's like selling mm-hmm. tennis shoes almost. They don't even call them tennis shoes. Am I just dating myself by not using the right term? For <laughs> footwear. Sneaks. Athletic footwear. <laughs> so you, you mentioned it earlier, Sudesh, in the context of sort of really thinking about the broader idea of digital experience. And so, you know, having it not segmented in the same way into this idea of like, okay, here's this marketing site, but it's and it's our billboard that then causes people to set up meetings with sales. That's not what people want to do anymore. So now we have to make the websites up front, it feels like more sort of vastly interactive to the point that it almost like it, some of the conversations I have about this border on video game design, where it's sort of like, okay, what's the journey? You know, <laughs> what's, yeah. how are we, gonna, we even use the same language. The user journey. Yeah, I, I think you know it, it's it's a it's a huge pivot for for brands for B two B brands especially to you know rethink how they should be serving that experience. So to your point, you know initially B two B brands would have all sorts of information, and they still do on the websites from blogs to webinars to you know to uh, to um, newsletters and all kinds of information. But you know it's just not very um, personal or it's not very easy to find or easy, easily navigatable. So it just, um, it does pivot the thinking around how do you make the experience or the content driven experience that B2B buyers are having with your website more intelligent and more, you know, more um, streamlined and, and personalized. And that requires different types of tools and different types of you know, journey-based, audience-based thinking. It's a total pivot in your business strategy or or your marketing strategy, if you will, or experience strategy, if you will, to uh, kind of enable or empower the B2B buyer to make uh, their own decisions and find what they are looking for rather than you just, you know, serving them what you think they need. It also makes me think it requires different types of people. I mean, this is probably a great example of why having somebody like Merkel help you with this would make sense because sometimes you don't even know the people that you that you need to solve these kinds of problems. So, you know, when you start to explain it that way, it goes way more from, you know, I think a lot of people are used to, we got a marketing department, we have somebody who takes care of the website. When you talk about it that way, it sounds increasingly like the thing where it's like, oh no, you need a user experience designer. They usually work over on the software and app side of this thing, but you're Marketing website is now complicated enough that you need somebody to take you through a you know a proper UX design sprint where you map out all the things and understand the you know the flow through the the app and that kind of stuff. Just the idea that once you start to go down that road of of what it looks like to consumerize, but then also to provide that more rich experience. Like sometimes the problem is a weird thing. Like you need somebody to tell you, yeah, actually, there's this role called a UX designer. Uh, and they can help you solve this friction point that you you know your traffic seems stuck on from the analytics. Yeah, it's like a key information 
delivery person. <laughs> or or yeah, I, I think back to the tool we just onboarded, you know, the range, yeah. the problem that it's that it solves. It's like there's you almost have to it's it's kind of like an endless feedback loop of of people on tech teams working on a project. They've got a product or a project, let's say it's a widget, you know, they're working on the widget and they realize, hey, we've got this issue in our in our workflow of cataloging, whether it's the effectiveness of the widget, the performance of it, how people like it. And then it's like, we need to make that part faster. You know, we're doing, and then somebody comes up, okay, I've got a tool for that. So, and then, and then that becomes your SaaS tool, right? And that becomes your B2B pitch. Hey guys, you know, when you get to this problem point and you start talking about this problem, well, here's a tool that's going to, you know, eliminate all those problems. And I think that's where we're in this kind of this like hyper reactive state of of technology and data where you know once we once we reach a point or a team reaches a point of frustration or confusion you know that's sort of the goldilocks zone for a, a new tool to come in and either streamline communication streamline data connections you know port an audience into um a dmp or whatever you know whatever it it might be whatever sort of automation um so it's it's kind of it feels like it's the game is be the first one to identify this problem and tell a story uh, and be the best like tell a great story of how your product will solve it. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think right now with like to get to a little bit more like, specifics of that right now with so much of um, different ways that the B two B buyers are engaging with us and the ton of data that. We can collect about them, not just on our own sites, but you know, through the different ways we're engaging across different channels and touch points. I think data unification and reconciliation um, becomes like you know one of the big pain points. Like, how do I know that Joe Smith is the same person who essentially uh, engaged with my website and this particular content, and also happened to click on that ad that I served uh, a month or so back. Like, how do you make all that connection and understand the journey? So, I think the data integration, to your point, reconciliation, and having the right identity graphs to make that you know all kind of uh, easily understandable, such that you know we can serve the right experience forward, is is becoming critical, and the tools. And data that you need to do that, it now becomes like top of mind for um, for all these B2B brands. I'd be remiss if at this point I didn't plug NetWise, which provides an ID graph to solve a lot of that problem for people. But that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I what the the broader question I have off of that is I'm curious. So we, you know, we have our own ongoing attribution project at any given time over here. You know, and we're kind of, it, it's a similar sort of data problem in that you talk about, you know, trying to onboard new tools or new methodologies to understand the flow of, you know, users through your website, ideally to conversion events. Is that a pipe dream? Is that ever, I feel like I've been solving for the same thing for 10 years straight and it just keeps getting more complicated and we just keep trying to solve it and everyone keeps agreeing that we should try to solve it and I keep getting budget, but it's never solved and we're still always a little like, I don't know, we're not really totally sure where the traffic came from. Is, is that, a, is that a, I mean, is it a property of, maybe this is like a PhD question, but like, is there like some kind of upper limit of physics that we're up against here and data is just always going to continue to grow faster? then we can corral it for our use. 
And so we're always going to be chasing one slightly more granular data point deeper into trying to figure out traffic attribution? That's an excellent question. I think that's something that um, I think all of us are looking to solve for. Uh, I think what makes it more challenging is that the media landscape keeps evolving and changing. So we are adding so many new channels and touch points, a deluge of channels. And on top of that, with the privacy laws and the deprecation of third-party cookies, like, you know, it just, um, all of these, um, the data and privacy and media landscape evolutions don't help. I mean, we thought that we got it right with multi-touch attribution. Now that is all digital and we can connect the dots and guess what? With third-party cookie deprecation, we can't do MTA anymore. It's going to go away. Now we are starting to look at, you know, should we go back to our roots, like look at media mix models to general directionally get a sense on which media and touch points are working? Or um, should we be looking at, say, micro-segment attribution? Maybe at a much a little granular level, we can get to an understanding of which audiences are working well. But I think that attribution is going to be an ongoing question all marketers ask. And uh, incrementality tests, which is the age-old way of figuring out what's working or not, it's going to be the standard given the complexity and the evolutions of the space. I love the extent to which it's a funny context because it's all about commerce and like capitalism. But one of the things I've always enjoyed in a long career at the edge of this stuff, personally, is kind of this cat and mouse game that is interesting. It's a combination of regulation... And like best practices, technological evolution, and like I think of it in the SEO context a lot, right? Google doesn't tell us the changes they're making to make a better search engine. We have to like reverse engineer them out of the update and then proliferate that to the you know community of marketers. And in that way, it's that same That's sort why of the whole cat cottage industry exists. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so you know, you just described a situation where we came up with a what was the best we've ever come up with for attribution for this kind of stuff. And then... So part of the thing about attribution is it's not always a forward path, right? You you have to back up sometimes because the landscape changed and now you're kind of going, okay, right. We can go back to media mix models and and affinity sources. And you know, it's like, I always know roughly the same demographic is reading Golf Magazine, you know, than was 20 years ago and will be in 20 years from now. Uh good enough. We can do better with digital tools. But yeah, that's it's a funny version of trying to solve data problems. Kind of, like if you're just tasting math all the time, it's kind of like you just go after the next thing. It's like, okay, we've proved that theorem. Now we'll do the next thing. This is that weird version of it's like you do the science and the, and the data-driven stuff to get to the point where you're like, oh, this is the best way to target people. And then maybe the government goes, that's too creepy. <laughs> right, and then you have to like kind well, of roll back to old best great, battle, you know. Where- great segue actually into a question. One of the questions I had was just around this idea of like too big to fail, like the things that that exist because they have to exist in advertising. One of those being Facebook. You know, Facebook ads has been kind of a bedrock, foundational piece of so many marketing teams for the last I don't know ten years, maybe more. However long they've had that ads platform. But as Kurt was saying, now, um, you know, with Cambridge Analytica, with GDPR, Facebook has become objectively, or, or I guess not objectively, but, but supposedly less powerful, you know, and I'm wondering, because of the, the limitations on their targeting, the, the less interest, the less of affinities, 
less behavioral um, and demographic um, targeting capabilities, you know, are you seeing people pulling out of Facebook? Are you seeing um, budgets go into other acquisition channels that used to live and, and thrive and convert really well on Facebook? Especially also with people being able to opt out, you know, with, with iOS 14, being able to opt out of conversion tracking. Curious to get your take on that. But that's a great question. And actually, the, I would say it varies from client to client. I, I think that the clients want to be where, where they see that the investments that they are making in media truly drive returns. And despite that, everything that's going on with Facebook, we still continue to see returns. So I have, in general, I do not see a shift of dollars or media investments away from Facebook. I'm making a very generalized statement. Though, of course, some, you know, it, it's more about, it's less about what's going on around uh, all of the, the news around, the, around Facebook and, and data privacy. It's, it's, it's more about what's working for the particular client and is, is Facebook able to deliver against the targets we set up against. And as long as we are able to, we continue on that path with them. So it sounds like, yes, there are some, some brands pulling back, but it sounds like on the whole, and you're probably under NDA to talk about specific clients, which I understand. But uh, yeah, we're, I'm forever skeptical. Ever since that the Cambridge scandal came down, I've, I've been skeptical as to whether, whether brands would be able to effectively leverage you know, that ecosystem if there was enough trust inherent to that ecosystem. Um, and yeah, and maybe, maybe it's Instagram, you know, maybe that trust is, has just transferred over and people are, are more engaged on, on Instagram. But um, yeah, it's just sort of a hypothetical existential question. And also, you know, I help, I manage the budgets for our ad campaign. So I don't want to be wasting money where I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think maybe a way to start wrapping this up. So. One of the things, Sudesh, that we talked about earlier and didn't get to yet was the importance of capturing first-party data. You know, we, we work at a data company, so to us, that is obvious. Is there anyone out there resistant to the idea of capturing first-party data? Is this that new an idea? I don't, I'm, too, I'm so deep in it for so many years <laughs> now that it's kind of like, yeah, you set up analytics right away, right? <laughs> I guess not. I think almost all the all clients of, of ours, at least, they realize the importance of first-party data, and um, I think they they are realizing that even more with the deprecation of third-party cookies, how important it is for them to accelerate the efforts of capturing it even faster now. So I think that many of the clients are pivoting in that direction. I think what they are also increasingly realizing is that. You just you don't have to wait to the very end when the when your potential contact uh, potential like you know visitor is giving you the contact information. There are a lot of people right now engaging with your website, engaging with you in multiple ways. You might not know them right now, but you will at some point get to know them. So start understanding those audiences. We have ways in which we can actually at Merkle we can tag the site and. Um, make it even more intentional to capture the first party data. So, you know, as a visitor is unknown visitor is, uh, is engaging with you on your website, we have tags that will help us know, okay, this is truly anonymous or, um, or is it not? Should, do we know them? If, if it's truly anonymous, can we find ways of asking them to share their email address so that we know them? 
So there are ways in which, you know, we are leveraging these first party data capture methods with our clients to improve the uh, or build their first party database. And um, I see more and more clients on that on, on that route, trying to build that database uh, right now, as I would say a year back. So would you say the the challenge is more in evangelizing, I guess, is is sort of what we would call more innocuous conversions or micro conversions than not necessarily things like a a form fill or a webinar um, attended, but things, you know, the, the very basic moves of category loaded, blog post viewed, video played to 50%, things, things like that. You're saying that brands are still coming around on the idea and you have to, and Merkle enables brands to um, understand the importance of, of capturing this type of behavioral event data versus just like an, a purchase or a sign-up form. Exactly. Like the form fills and um, yeah, and, lead, and lead form fills, those were always there. Like I think brands do a good job making sure that they're capturing um, all the, the information um, uh, when a person is ready to you know, become a lead. But even before that, there is so much information we can capture and then use that to progressively profile and find out who this individual is. So we see a lot of uh, of tagging and more importantly, tools and technology like the CDP. The whole premise around that also is how do we how do we progressively profile these anonymous visitors until we know them contextually and then ho- fully from a PII standpoint, so that so that we can serve a much more personalized experience to them. And that is where I think a lot of brands are headed, and we at Merkle definitely help our clients to get there faster. Awesome. Well, that feels like a pretty good place to wrap up. Thanks uh, again, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want more, you can find us at Data Driven Pod on Twitter. There you go. I almost said that wrong. Not sure why. <laughs> Sudeshna, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you on the on the interwebs? You can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Just type in Sudeshna Sen, you'll find me, and um, I'm happy to happy to connect and. More importantly, thank you so much, both of you, Mark and Adam, for for having me here. I really had a wonderful time having um, uh, this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for joining us. We had a great time as well. Everybody else, this has been another data-driven marketer. I'm Adam. I'm Mark. I'm Sudeshna. Take it easy, everybody. 